Well, good evening, good evening. Good to see you all here tonight. If you're joining us online, certainly glad you decided to tune in with us. Uh, like Parker said, I am really excited that it is fall. These cool mornings have been awesome. Also excited because football season's around the corner. Uh, I know it's not really the most important thing in the world, but I am sure glad that the Georgia Bulldogs are going to be playing this Saturday. Every fall, they are good for at least one good heartbreak. So I'm, I'm ready for it again. So uh, this is the second week in a series that we're calling Everyday Disciple Making. Our goal in this series is to become disciples who make disciples and not just churchgoers who attend a service once or twice a week or maybe even less. Because this, this is a series is about living our lives, every day of our lives on mission for Jesus because that's the vision Jesus had when he imagined the church. Now, uh, my grandfather was a phenomenal fisherman, and I miss him dearly. Some of my best memories are from being on the lake with him on the bass boat. And after he passed away, it took us a while to get comfortable enough to take the boat back out because it was just, we didn't want to do it. And we were also nervous that we were going to mess it up because he had a whole checklist of things that you had to do uh, with his boat to take it out. Well, we finally worked up the courage, my brother and I, we took it out. And one of the first few times we took it out, we went through that checklist, every little thing, pulled it to the lake, launched it successfully, fired off, got to the first hole. We think we are doing great. I mean, we cast our lines. It's going well until I look into the floor and there's water coming up through the grate in the bottom of the floor. We forgot to put in the plug. So we throw our rods down, we get back to the ramp, we get the, get the truck backed in, we, get, we didn't sink the boat that day, but we learned a valuable lesson. Don't forget the plug. Out of all else you do, your top priority has to be that plug in the boat. Is it doesn't matter, nothing else matters if the boat's on the bottom of the lake. Well, in the same way, what should be the first priority of our lives as followers of Jesus? Above all else, what is that one thing that takes priority over everything else we do? That if we don't do it, nothing else matters. That's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about the first priority of a disciple's life. And that's what Jesus talks about in our text for this evening. So if you have a Bible, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 15. We're going to be looking at the first 11 verses of John 15 tonight. Chapters 14 through 17 of John's gospel are known as the farewell discourse. Jesus was getting ready to say farewell, so he was preparing them for what life would be like after he physically leaves the world. These chapters happen between the Last Supper and when Jesus would be betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. These are his final teachings before he would die on the cross. After he died, we know that he rose again, and then after spending 40 days with the disciples, he ascended back to heaven, and then on the day of Pentecost, he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in his disciples. And if you've been around church for a while, you know that story. If you're a Christian, you know that story. But, but these disciples didn't know. I mean, Jesus had talked about it in different ways, but they still didn't get the full, full picture. And for them, 
the worst thing in the world could be for Jesus to leave the world. And how would they follow him? How would they be his disciples if he wasn't there with him? But Jesus knows that him leaving the world is actually the best thing in the world. Because instead of being physically beside them, he was going to send his Holy Spirit to be spiritually inside them. And that's better because that means that he can empower their lives and guide them in an even bigger, deeper way than before. But, but they don't understand all that yet. And they really don't get it until they get filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Then they understand. But for now, in this farewell discourse, he is just giving them the best description he can to help them understand what their relationship with him is going to be like now that he is going to physically leave the world. And in our text for this evening, he says their relationship is, is like the relationship between a vine and its branches. So read with me in verse 1 of John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my commandment, my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full." Based on this passage, Jesus is saying that abiding in him must be our first priority. So above all else, that's what you have to do. If you don't abide, it is like forgetting the plug in a bass boat. You can check the oil, check the spark plugs, check the steering system, but if you don't remember the plug, the boat will sink. In the same way, if you go to church and do all these different things, but you're somehow not abiding in Jesus, your life will sink. That's what Jesus is, Jesus is getting at when he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We have to abide. So what does it mean to abide? Now, sometimes the word translated as abide simply refers to the place where someone lives or where they dwell. So if you want to be really fancy, you can say, I abide at 123 Main Street. Now, other times this word is used to talk about something that lasts or remains or what stays it's kind of like in my high school cafeteria, my freshman year, somebody took one of those sticky hands. You know what I'm talking about? You, 
Yeah, it sticks to the wall. They somehow got it on the ceiling, which was way up there. On my third year of college, I came back, and it was still up there. That thing stuck. It abided on the ceiling. Now, in in our passage, I think Jesus is using abide in both of these senses. Uh, So it's his relationship is like a home we stay in, and it's also something that it's constant. It sticks, it remains, it lasts, but it goes further than that. To really get the picture, you have to imagine the relationship of that between a branch and a vine. And so what Jesus is saying here is that to abide in him is to be vitally connected to him. And your pulse is one of your vital signs. So if you're passed out and someone checks your pulse, they're they're making sure you're alive. So being vitally connected to Jesus means that he is your life source. Just as a vine is the life source of, of a branch, if you cut the branch off from that vine, the branch dies. And this is the image Jesus gives us to describe our relationship with him, to make sure we understand just how important it is for us to abide in him. Now, in a little while, we're going to talk about the how-to of abiding in Jesus. I'll give you some practical pointers on what it looks like to abide, to stay vitally connected to Jesus. But first, I want us to see three reasons in this text of why Jesus says that abiding has to be our first priority above all else. We can't afford to forget this. So number one, abiding in Jesus must be the first priority of our lives because if we fail to abide, we will not bear fruit. So verse 4, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Then verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So not just here, but really all through the Bible, we read this same language that God uses of his people. He wants his people to bear fruit or to be fruitful. What in the world does that mean? Well, it's a metaphor. Obviously, he does not literally mean that we start sprouting fruit or... Did anybody see that, that cartoon with Bugs Bunny where he has like the fruit hat and he's dancing? That's not what he's talking about here. That's not what he's meaning by bearing fruit. He, he's using the image as a metaphor of fruit bearing to talk about things in our lives, things that our lives ought to produce, like the way a vine produces grapes or an apple tree produces apples. And there's two main categories, two main types of things that our lives should produce if we are true disciples. Our lives have to produce these two things. So fruit bearing as a Christian involves formation and replication. Formation, that is about being formed into Christ's image. It is about being formed into Jesus' likeness, becoming more like him. You can learn more about what these characteristics are by reading about his life in the Gospels, or really by looking at any of the moral standards, the the characteristics that the Bible holds up in the Bible, because as the living word, Jesus is simply a picture of what it looks like when somebody perfectly obeys the Bible. And then in Galatians chapter 5, it gives a summary list of Christ-like characteristics, and it uses the fruit, in, the fruit imagery again there to teach what the fruit of the Spirit are, the fruits of the Spirit, which are 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And it's hard for me not to sing that because I learned a song. And if you, if you, so many of you, I, was, I learned it when I was six years old. That's still the way I remember the fruit of the Spirit. So those kind of things, if, our, if we're a, a true disciples, we should have that, those kind of characteristics in our lives. Now, replication, on the other hand, is about making more disciples for Jesus. Because if a branch is vitally connected to the vine and it is healthy, that branch will bear fruit. And in that fruit, there will be seeds because Jesus wasn't talking about seedless grapes in this image. These grapes have seeds. And those seeds, when planted, will produce more plants. Part of the branch's role is to produce more plants. So if you're abiding in Jesus, if you're a true disciple, you're going to be more and more like Jesus every day. And then when you turn around and make more disciples, the goal is that those people become more like Jesus. So I know in the vine and the branch metaphor, Jesus is the vine and seeds produce more vines. So we're not saying that we're making more Jesuses when we make disciples, but we are saying that we are making more Jesus-like people. And we are spreading his image all around the world. Honestly, we are fulfilling our original purpose, the original purpose for which God created us. All the way back in Genesis chapter 1, when God told the first, he created the first people, he told them, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So Adam and Eve were made in God's image. And so that command was a command to spread God's image all throughout the world. And when we make disciples, we're fulfilling that purpose by replicating the image of Jesus into all the world and spreading God's image around the world for his glory. And that's a beautiful thing. But to fulfill this calling, we have to abide in Jesus because you and I, we don't have the power to make ourselves bear fruit. Just like a branch has no power to bear fruit apart from being connected to the vine. The second reason why we must make abiding our first priority is because if we fail to abide, we will not live in the love of God. Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. So in order to stay vitally connected, to abide in Jesus, you have to obey his commands. And he says that the effect of obeying those commands is that we abide or we stay in God's love. Now, we, we know that God's love is not something that we can earn on the basis of, it's not something that we earn on the basis of how much good we do or how well we obey. Romans 5, 8 says that he, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he, Christ died for us. And according to Ephesians 2, he loved us, it goes further than that, he loved us while we were dead. And, and dead people, as dead people, we could do nothing to earn his love. And once you become a Christian, it's not like he flips that script and says, oh, now my love is conditional upon how well you obey. No, Romans 8 says that neither, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's a pretty exhaustive list. And I think included in that list, at least under anything else in all creation, includes your disobedience. 
So God's love is not conditional. His love is still there. His, his love is not conditional on how well you obey. However, based on John 15, your lack of obedience can indeed affect the degree to which you experience God's love practically in your life. Now, the Message Bible, I love the way it translates this command to abide in Jesus' love. It translates it like this. Jesus says, make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. Isn't that beautiful? The invitation to make ourselves at home in the love of Jesus. It's like a child living in his parents' home, a nice home with a, with a big room full of toys, a big warm bed with a fluffy comforter and all sorts of stuffed animals. And this kid knows he's loved and experiences the effects of that love in so many practical ways, from big hugs to warm breakfasts every morning to, 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 to affirming words and more. What if that kid decides to run away from home? I mean, he is still his parents' child, his parents still love him. Their love has not changed. The house is still there with all of its benefits and comforts, but the child is not experiencing any of it because he stepped out from under their roof. And in the same way, when we, when we disobey God's commands, it's like we step out from under God's roof. Now, through Christ, we've been made children of God. And his commands are in our lives for our good. And so to step outside of those commands is to step outside of God's loving boundaries for our lives. And one way that we'll experience the absence of God's love in our lives might be through what we call natural consequences in our household. Some sins just have natural consequences built in. That's just the way it works. Uh, you don't have to make a list. You probably can think of sins that have natural consequences. Another way you experience the, the absence of God's love in your life will be how you handle your successes and your failures. So are you puffed up with pride when you succeed? Like egotistical pride, like I did this, look at what I did. And are you crushed when you fall short? If so... That could be a check engine light warning that you're not living in the love of God, that you stepped outside. Because when you're living in the love of God, the truth of the gospel reminds you that there's nothing you can do today that could make God love you more. And there is nothing you could do today that can make God love you less. And you're able to handle successes and failures with a consistent, humble joy. And if you're, if you're not living in the love of God, based on what Jesus says here in John 15, it could be that there are some commands of his that you're not following. And now, I don't know where that is for you. There are, uh, in, in the New Testament alone, some scholars have counted 1,050 total commands, to be exact. So where do you even start? I don't know where to even start. But just on our text tonight, how about we start with his command to abide? That first priority, we may not be experiencing the love of God simply because we are not obeying his command to abide in him. And we need to abide so we can experience the fullness of his love. A third reason, abiding must be our first priority because if we fail to abide, we will not live in the joy of Jesus. Jesus says in verse 11, these things I have spoken that my joy 
may be in you and that your joy may be full. So when he says these things, he's referring to those, those last 10 verses, all those things. He's saying, I've said all of this. The whole point of this vine and branches metaphor is that I, he wants to help us experience the full joy that he has made available to us. He wants abiding in him to be our first priority because he wants you to be joyful. And so we've got to get it out of our heads. Any idea that reading our Bible and praying and living for Jesus is a dull, dry, lifeless thing, because if it is, we're doing it wrong. And I've been in pastoral ministry for about 10 years, and I've seen far too many joyless Christians. And oftentimes, I've been far too joyless in my own Christian walk. Worry about the future, guilt over the past, anxiety over what's going on right now so easily steals our joy. But, but that is not our heritage. As children of God, that is not our heritage. Joy is. Right here in the text, Jesus says, I want you to be joyful. I, I need that, like tattooed across my forehead most every morning. Jesus wants you to be joyful. That's what he wants for you. Satan wants us to be joyless. So live in the joy of Jesus. We should be able to say with Paul in Philippians 4, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we should be able to obey his command. Right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. And abiding in Jesus is, is the key to that, the key to being able to rejoice always. And why is that? And it's because Jesus, he didn't just promise us any old joy. He said, I said these things so that my joy can be in you. His joy he is inviting us to share in the joy that as God the Son, he has been able to experience as a member of the triune God for all of eternity. And so we can be reasonable, or we can, we can, which means being level-headed, at peace, peaceful in all circumstances, because we are partaking in the joy of God. Is God anxious? Is he stressed out? Is he ever worried? No. Then what is he? He's joyful. I don't know before studying this passage if I would have ever described, somebody said, describe God to you. I might have said holy, righteous, and all those things would have been good, but I never would have even thought about mentioning he's joyful. That's what, that's what Jesus says. Jesus is God, and he says, I want you to share in my joy. God is joyful, and by commanding us to abide in him, Jesus is inviting us to share in that joy. So abiding in him has to be our first priority if we want to fully, fully experience the joy that he has made available to us. So there are the, those three reasons of why abiding has to be our first priority. So now how do we abide? How do we stay vitally connected? And when we do that, by communic communicating with Jesus and by obeying his commands. And if you're thinking that sounds simple, you're right. It is. Jesus is alive and he, he is a person. He sent his spirit to you as a believer. He's, 
He's, he's here. So abiding in him is about staying in touch with him. How do you foster a relationship with a person? You stay in touch with them. If you don't stay in touch with them, that relationship grows cold. And, but also because he is Lord, a huge part of keeping our relationship with Jesus healthy is that we have to obey. He has called us friends, but it goes deeper than that. He is Lord, and so communicating won't suffice by itself. We have to obey. And we've already talked about how obeying his commands keeps us. It helps us make ourselves at home in his love. So how then do we communicate with Jesus? We can't see him. He's not physically here. And we can't hear him. Uh, but he has, I, I truly believe that he has given us a better way of communicating with him than even if we could hear him. And so we communicate with Jesus through the Bible and prayer. And I hope you're not let down, because when I said it's a better way, I hope you weren't thinking, well, just the Bible and prayer. Let's talk about that. And I know we, we asked Jack a, a while back to pray, and he was hesitant. You know, sometimes it was just more hesitant and not wanting to do it. And so we were trying to explain, buddy, well, by praying, prayer is just talking to Jesus. And he said, yeah, but Daddy, I can't hear him. Like, he doesn't talk back. And if we're honest, that can be the same struggle we have as adults. Now, why doesn't Jesus just talk to us? Why did he make it so different? And I'll tell you what I told Jack that night. I said, we can't hear Jesus because he wants to talk to us in an even deeper, better way than if we could. He doesn't just want to talk to our ears. He wants to talk to our hearts. And the Bible and prayer are his special means, his special gifts of talking to us, to our hearts. And, you know, and, and God's made it so that the, the, the Bible and prayer, they don't just give up their riches if you don't dig. So we've got to work at it. And so they're not complicated. We're just reading and we're just talking to God. But you do have to be committed. If you want to experience all the, rich, the riches of these precious means that God has given us to communicate with him, we, we, we have to be committed. In our fast-paced world, we are all speed addicts. What I mean by that is we want to do things fast, get things done, and move on to the next thing. We want to be in a hurry, right, especially in our modern world. And, and one reason that we fail to abide and fail to hear from Jesus is that we're not, we're not really willing to slow down enough to listen and hear. So, so three things in my life that have helped me to slow down and just slow down. Sometimes, I mean, you know what it's like to lay down at night and your brain's just going. And that's the way oftentimes it's like from the moment we wake up to the moment we lay down, there's things going. And we've got to have some tools in our tool belt to help us slow down and, and tap into these precious means of communicating with Jesus that he's given us. So three tools that he's given me are journaling is the first one. There, there are dozens of journaling methods out there. Um, many are helpful. I, I don't have one method that I use. Uh, you can look on replicate.org, Ministry of Robbie Gallaty. He developed a HEAR method, H-E-A-R. Acronyms are really popular in the journaling world, right? There's a lot of acronyms. There's the PRAY method, all kinds of other things. Um, but mo most of the time, my journaling method, I read the, read the Bible, I write a couple verses that stuck out to me, and then I just interact. I just start talking to God about the truth of that verse, and I start praying the truth of that verse. And what journaling does is it helps me stay focused, right? 
Because I've got things popping up in the to-do list in the back of my mind. And if I just, and I need that practice of writing it down to stay focused. And also I keep a, it keeps a record of what God's doing in my life. You know, prayer cards are, are another sister to journaling. Prayer cards are so powerful. In a book that Carmen and I have read, I've read it, I'm on my second time reading it. It's called A Praying Life uh, by, by Miller, by Don Miller, Paul Miller, not Don Miller, Paul Miller. And it's so helpful in, journal, in talking about journaling and how to pray and so journaling is such a good way to help you slow down and focus. The second tool is setting a timer. Like a timer? Yes, a timer. Because journaling is good, but I'll, we also just need to talk to God freely, you know. And, and if I'm not careful, you know, the two things, sometimes I, I think I pray a lot longer than I do. It's kind of like when I go on a run. I'm not a runner. I go running, and I'm like, man, I've been running for 20 minutes. Nope, three. Three minutes. That's all it is. Same thing with praying. I'm like, I've been praying for an hour. Nope, three minutes. That's all you got there. And so try it this week. Try this week. If you struggle to spend focused time in prayer, set a timer for seven minutes and do it for the next seven days and just, just see how it helps you focus and how it helps you slow down. And eventually what you'll find, seven minutes will feel like a long time at first, but eventually you'll find yourself wanting to sit there for 20 or 30 because it's so good. It's so good. The third thing, the third tool is memorizing scripture. And this has probably been the most powerful thing, uh, especially memorizing longer passages of scripture. Um, after finishing my, my first seminary degree, I, I really found myself in a world of hurt in my walk with Jesus. Just the fast paced busyness of doing school and studying the Bible academically had really put a callus on my heart in a lot of ways. And I just had a hard time hearing from the Lord and studying the Bible and sitting still and and that's when I came across a memorization method developed by Andrew Davis, who pastors First Baptist over in Durham, North Carolina. And you can find the method. It's for free on scripturememory.com, all kinds of tools under their free resources, scripturememory.com. And, and basically, it's just a method of memorizing longer passages of scripture. And to do that, it involves a process of saying the verses over and over and over again. And then tomorrow, saying more verses over and over again and repeating them over and over and over again. And, and, and I remember there was a moment in that season of my life where I was working on memorizing part of uh, Philippians, and it was just like the floodgates opened up for me. I could hear God's voice again because I was forced to sit there slowly. You can't rush memorizing Scripture. I was forced to sit there slowly and to focus, and it was like all of a sudden the Scriptures came alive to me again. And, and those scriptures still are in my heart today. And so I, if you're having a hard time listening to Jesus, just memorize. You're like, I can't remember. I can't. You'd be surprised how much you can remember if you just say it over and over again. So look up that method. I promise it'll help you. So, so in all, all those ways, all, all those spiritual disciplines of, of reading prayer or the Bible and praying, we can do those, but we also have to be careful because, you know, it, it's easy for us to wind up approaching those things just like checking off a box, you know? That, that's, that's the other. When we make it a regular habit to read the Bible and pray, it's like we fall into the other side of the ditch on the other side of the road where all of a sudden it becomes just a, just a routine, you know? Check it off my box and do it. And so, so in order to approach them with the right attitude, you have to read and pray with the goal of hearing the gospel and letting it shape your life. 
When Jesus says in verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. What he's saying there is, is you are clean. You've become my disciples. You've been connected to the vine because of the gospel. When he says the word, he's talking about his whole message that he taught. And really even in a way that the whole biblical message of who he is. And in summary, the Bible is basically the gospel unabridged. And so it's, it's the gospel that, that brings us into the vine, and it's the gospel that helps us strengthen our connection to the vine, helps us to grow. And so we have to read the Bible with gospel glasses on our faces. We have to read the Bible open. You know, when we open the Bible, we have to read it with the desire of interacting with Jesus. You know, it's kind of like they, they say, if you aim to get nowhere, you'll get nowhere. If you open the Bible just to read then you probably won't interact with Jesus. I mean, he might surprise you, but it'll be like him jumping out from behind a bush. Like, whoa, Jesus didn't expect to see you here. <laughs> no, go come in expectantly. Like, I want to interact with you, Jesus, in your word. And even when you're reading the obscure passages in the Old Testament, know that one way or another, that is part of the picture God is painting to point you to Jesus and help you encounter him on a personal level. And it's so crucial that we read with, with gospel lenses because we need to see that truth every day, that God loves us so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. Like what a marvelous, glorious mystery. And we need to see that because when we see the gospel, when we see Jesus, that's when love for God rises up in our hearts. Amen. And so, which is crucial because abiding in Jesus is about loving God with everything you are. Jesus said that the greatest commandment of all is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And so when we say that abiding in Jesus is the first priority, and Jesus says that here in, in John 15, it's not contradicting the greatest commandment. It's just Jesus clarifying or getting more specific about what that greatest commandment from Deuteronomy looks like now that he has come. It looks like abiding in him. Jesus is God. He is God the Son, and he was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Jesus is how we can know and connect to and be with God. And so when you abide in Jesus, you are loving God. You are abiding in God with all your mind, with all your heart, with all your soul. And so abiding in Jesus is our first priority because as Christians, it's really how we obey that first commandment, that greatest commandment of loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. So, but now, what does it really look like to make that our first priority? What does it mean for it to be our first priority? Because life throws all kinds of things our way that take precedence, important things. So abiding in Jesus always and above all else is how we make it our first priority. Always and above all else. How in the world is that possible? You're sitting there thinking, I know life throws a lot of stuff my way. And not just unimportant things. Like we have bills to pay, kids to raise, work to do, places to drive. You need to be focused on those things when you're doing them. So how are we supposed to always and above all else abide in Jesus? Like do we, are we supposed to, do you mean that we're supposed to do nothing but read our Bibles and pray? You know, like if you're a nurse, you may be thinking, I can't do that while I'm giving shots. <laughs> so what in the world do we mean here? Well, when I was in college, I was driving back to campus one time, and I used my driving time for prayer. You know, I had a 45-minute drive, and um, 
and, and not, not prayer journaling, obviously I wasn't trying to write and drive, but just talking to Jesus. And I uh, don't also re- don't recommend reading your Bible unless you're listening to it. But there I was, I was driving and praying. And this time, I mean, it was just a really good experience with the Lord. I was having revival in my truck. And I think we'd been to church that night and just talking to the Lord. I'm, I'm driving and all of a sudden blue lights in my rearview mirror. I was like, what in the world? I looked down, I'm going five under the speed limit. And as a teenager, I, I drove really slow. I was the opposite. I didn't want to mess up my truck or use too much gas. And I was like, I did, I'm not speeding. So I pull over and he walks up to the window and he says, well, what have you been doing tonight? And I was like, you know, driving back to college. He said, well, you realize you were swerving really badly, right? And I was like, oh no. And I think he thought, you know, I was drinking or on my phone or something like that. And in that moment, I'm like, what do I do? Because the truth here is going to sound a lot stranger than fiction. But I told the truth, I said, sir, you're not gonna believe it, but I really was praying. And He took my license and walked back to his car. I was like, I'm getting a ticket. And if there's a ticket for lying, he's going to give me that too. And, uh, but he walked back up and he handed me my license back. And he said, well, next time keep your eyes open. (laughs) And walked off. So, oh my goodness. So praying with your eyes closed while driving or, or, or reading your Bible while you're doing, trying to do reports at work is not what I mean by abiding in Jesus always and above all else. What I mean is that abiding in Jesus should be like breathing to us. I mean, that image of a vine and a branch, it's a natural picture there of of just a natural relationship where this this branch, that's who it is. Its identity is being connected to the vine. You don't have to think about breathing. Your body just does it. But also, you, you do breathe intentionally at different times in your life, especially if you're training If you're lifting weights or working out, you're you're supposed to inhale when you're letting the weights down and exhale. And there's whole YouTube videos and classes on how to breathe. And and even Pilates has very specific, don't ask me how I know that, but even Pilates has very specific ways to breathe. And, and, And so breathing is both natural and ongoing, but it's also intentional when you're training for something. And abiding in Jesus works the same way. 1 Timothy 4, 6, it commands us, train yourself for godliness. So we train our, it's that same idea. We're training ourselves to be more like Jesus, to abide in Jesus, to become more like him. And so you train, when you train physically, you're training for a purpose. Whether you're training for a race, you're training for life, or you just want to train five or so hours a week so that the other 160 so hours of the week are, are better. It's the same way that whenever we intentionally step into our time of devotional life and prayer, You know, we're focused. It's like that intentional breathing where we're doing something on purpose, where we're trying to hear God's voice and and pray and be really focused. But when we step out of that and we're driving and life is coming at you, that's when it's it's like the natural breathing. Where your your knee-jerk reaction when something goes wrong is not stress and anxiety. It's Jesus help me. When anything happens at work, when somebody sends you a dirty email, it's not, how can I get this? I'm so mad. It's, it's Jesus, help me show grace to this person. It's that natural reflex of breathing, we have to, of breathing and we have to train that in, in, intentionally so that it is natural when we, when we step out into the different uh, moments of life. So abiding is about being in constant communication with Jesus. You know, Jesus tells us to pray like little children and little children talk to their parents about everything. They don't hold anything back. 
So now, how do we abide above all else? That's how we abide always, and we'll wrap up like this. And you're probably wondering, why in the world do I have this dinnerware up here? Up here? It's not a cooking show. We're not going to wash feet tonight or anything like that. Um, I want to use this to explain how it looks. I've got some water. I'm going to try not to kill the sound equipment so Nathaniel don't, won't kill me. Um, so priority one of your life is abiding in Jesus, right? And so that, that's represented by this cup. This is like your life and this picture is like Jesus. And what happens is whenever you abide in Jesus through the word and through prayer, it, it's as if your, your cup is under the pitcher. And some of y'all, you know what it's like to be right there, half empty, right? Some of you know what it's like. We know what it's like to be totally dry. But our goal is that as we abide in Jesus, taking that first priority, that cup fills up all the way to the top. And so what you have is, as we go through the next few weeks, John 15, Jesus gives us three priorities, three priorities of the Christian life. The first one is abide. The second one is love one another. And the third one is be my witnesses. And the way it works, and I won't pour too much because it always gets messy. As you're abiding, it, it overflows. into the next level to where you can love other people and then you can be witnesses. But this is the first priority. Like if you don't abide in Jesus, we don't have anything. This is the joy of Jesus, the goodness of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, his power. And if we're not abiding, we don't have the, what we need to step into this level of loving one another in our families, in your life groups. And we definitely don't have anything to offer to a world if we're not abiding in Jesus. That's why it has to be priority one, because it has to be above, we have to abide in Jesus above all else, because that's how we can obey any of Jesus' commands. We can't obey any of his commands if we don't abide in him. And honestly, out of those 1,050 commands and all the commands in Scripture, what we'll see over the next three weeks is that they all somehow fit into these three priorities. So if we can focus on these prior three priorities of abiding in Jesus, loving one another, and being his witnesses, that's what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. And man, that, when you experience that, you experience what Jesus said whenever he invited you, when he invites us, he says, come to me, all you who weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What does he say? He says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if, if disciple making has seemed like this heavy burden to you, like something you can't do, or I don't know how to do it, or I don't know the right technique or the method, this week, just start with abiding in Jesus. You are the branch. He is the vine. If you abide in him, you will bear fruit. Amen? We have to abide in him. Church, let's make that our first priority. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Now, I'm going to pray. Once I say amen, you will be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we love you. Father, we praise you oh, for giving us this rich scripture. These precious words, Lord, uh, before you were betrayed and arrested and died, and died for our sins, showing us what it means to follow you, showing us what it means to be your disciples. Lord, so just open our eyes, open my eyes just to the simplicity and the beauty of what it means to abide in you. Help us to hunger after you and to crave you and to, to search your scriptures and to pray in such a way that it's like breathing.
so that your presence and your goodness and your joy fill us up and overflow into every area of our lives, Jesus. Make us a disciple-making church. In your name, amen.